Me, you've been watching the news. I'm a real news hound. I love reading what's going on. And uh, there's a really interesting sort of uh, bit of news, I guess, that has come up that you may have just engaged with, you may have just noticed. Now, I, I must admit, uh, just as John was finishing off praying, I thought I would look up the name of this guy, so I got it right. Jake, something completely unpronounceable by me. Um, I'm sorry, I looked at it and I thought, I've got no clue how you would say that. But it's this new story about these documents that were released about the war in Ukraine, you know, this intelligence leak from a national air guardsman arguing with people he played computer games with on Discord. For those of you who are a bit older, Discord is a messaging system, a bit like SMS, but you can talk to each other and you can have private chat groups. I use Discord a lot because it is the only way to effectively get communication out of my middle child. If I don't use Discord, he doesn't answer. But they had this massive debate, and, and it looked like they were arguing about the tactics of what was going on in Ukraine, you know, what was right, what was wrong, where forces were, and, and this guy who had access to intelligence because he worked in the intelligence wing was a bit smug, so he said, here, look at these documents, and there was even one bit where he actually released a document, and then a little while later said, if you don't engage with the material, I'm going to stop releasing it. He really wanted to wrestle with what was being explained in these documents. He wanted to understand what were these documents telling us? What did it mean? How should we interpret it? And, and what, as that news story was breaking, oh, I'm very sorry about this, John, please forgive me. There was one thing from John's sermon last week that really struck me, that was round, going round and round and round in my head. And out of the whole sermon, it was a reading from 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, I passed on to you what was most important, or in the NIV, of first importance. And I got caught up with this thought that when, when the people who wrote the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit were communicating, they were doing it with purpose. They were doing it because they were saying, there's so much stuff that I could say, but I want you to have the real nuggets, the, the real bits that are of value and importance for you that make a difference for who you are as a believer. And I started to think, well, what would my response be if I grappled with the Bible like this Discord group grappled with war documents about Ukraine? Because let's face it, the Bible is about the war between good and evil. It's about that battle that wages in our souls. So if they want to understand that, well then why shouldn't I want to understand what it says? And, and I started thinking, you know, and you start going through, right, okay, Paul, John, Peter, some unknown folk wrote letters, and we know they're usually for specific circumstances that the churches would go and say, we've got a problem, or the apostles would look in and say, there's a problem that needs solving, I'd better talk to them about it. Or the apocalyptic writings, you know, Revelation and Daniel, really for encouragement for people who are going through suffering. And a bit about saying what might or might not happen, but we don't understand that fully, so that's fine. But it's about encouragement or poetic writings, like the Psalms, for prayer and worship. God's hymn book to, to help us express the depths of our soul to our God. Or the prophetic writings for correction. You, people of God, are not, but you should. If you don't, then I will. All these words from God. 
historic writings so we understand our place. Wisdom writings for wisdom. Funny that one. It's the one I easily get. So what was going on in Gospel and Acts then? What was the point of, of those four Gospels in the book of Acts? I, I include the book of Acts in those Gospels because Luke wrote Luke and then segued straight into Acts. They're meant to be kind of read together. They're uh, a unit. So what were they about? Well, I think they're about belief, aren't they? They're about what are the most important things for us as believers, as followers of Christ, to, to have in our lives so we understand the grace at work in us, so we understand God's mercy, so we understand what it's like to be this odd bunch of people that gather together and say we all have a common foundation. So to, to help us grasp with something that I think God's laid on my heart, we're going to read from Acts chapter 2. Uh, the New Living Translation will come up on the screen. You can read it in the NIV. It will be a bit different. But we're going to go to Acts chapter 2 and starting at verse 37. So it says this. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Father, as we dig into your word, please help us to understand what it means for us here today. So through the last few chapters of Luke, chapters 19, 20, 21, you, you read and you see Jesus increasingly frequently, increasingly challengingly warning 
the people of God, that they were headed towards a cliff edge, that they were dashing full pelt towards the brink of disaster, and if they didn't turn around, they would go careening off the edge to their great peril. And Jesus keeps on saying, turn back, come back, turn turn away from where you're going and go in a new direction. Jesus is calling them, saying, please, hear my message. Understand what I'm saying so that you might have a true relationship with God and a true relationship with each other. And then you get this day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes and, and Peter the guy who legged it, the guy who denied Jesus three times, the guy who was a complete turncoat, suddenly becomes the the representative, the spokesperson. When people start going, look at them, they're drunk. And Peter says, no, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is the Spirit of God, just as Joel said, poured out on all the people speaking in languages that they don't understand so that others might understand. Calling people, calling this Passover crowd back to God. Saying, listen, the one you condemned is not dead but alive. And he's come to save you all. The cliff edge is there but you haven't quite got there yet. Some people hear that message and they are cut to the heart. And they say, brothers, what should we do? And and Peter, this rough, judgmental, impulsive person before, speaks with gentleness and faith and says, repent. Repent turn around, go one way, nope, I'm going back God's way. I'm going to literally turn around, turn away from all that I had and turn towards the one who loves me and has saved me. To repent, to to acknowledge that relationship with God is more than just religious observance, that it's something which requires the whole of our heart the whole of our being, the everything we are. As the old hymn says, you know, is it a, were, were I, did I own everything? If I had everything and it was mine, that would still be not a big enough gift. And then to be baptized. Now, I do apologize for the photograph, but warning, this is a genuine photograph of a baptism. Uh, we don't quite do it that way here. You know, I'm, I can feel the floor bouncing as I walk on the baptistry, hoping that, uh, you know, those who maintain have made sure that all the beams are strong and I'm not going to suddenly disappear from your sight like some magic trick. But, but be baptized. But not just be baptized, because that ritual washing wasn't uncommon. They did it all the time going into temple. You had to be ceremonially clean. And we know John called people to a a baptism of repentance, of, of, yes, God, I've got it wrong. Wash me away and I start again. No, this was baptism into the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And all of this 
is of first importance. All of this is what Luke is trying to get us to grasp and understand, that, that this relationship with God who created all things is not inconsequential, but it's transformative. It changes us. It changes the way we relate to God and it changes the way we relate, relate to each other. That change which starts off small and then grows and grows and grows until it takes over our whole life. That change is the change that Christ wants to make in you and me. And it's that change which Peter was encouraging. Just a small congregation of about 3,000, you know. And to put that into context, and to show I've read the old commentary or two, but to put into context, in the whole of Israel, there was about 6,000 Pharisees. So about half the number of the total that there would be Pharisees. Suddenly, on that day, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, yes, I'm for Jesus. Now that in itself would be wonderful, but there's some implications to that because we read, don't we, what then church starts to look like, what this gathering of the faithful starts to look like. And it's maybe not everything that we expect. So the first thing that comes in is this devotion to the apostles' teaching, this, this desire to, to read the Scriptures and engage with them. Because remember, the people, this, this 3,000 who'd come for Passover, they were not ignorant of the Scriptures. They, they, they didn't know, they weren't just walking going, oh, I don't know what the Bible says, they never read it. They're coming in thinking, I've had to read a portion of this for my bar mitzvah or my bat mitzvah. I've had to go to synagogue and read from the scrolls because once I became an adult, that was my duty. I had to, had to know it. I had to understand it. That's how we see so often the people quoting portions of Scripture because they know it. So why do they need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? Well, they know it, don't they? Because Jesus came in and said, this isn't about head knowledge. This isn't about being able to quote a verse. It's about what does this change in my life? How does it cause me to live differently? How does it cause me to behave differently, to, to think differently, to, to believe differently? What, what difference does it make? And I can imagine the, just listening and preaching then wasn't like it is now. You didn't have a whole row of people kind of just sat there silent while somebody at the front pontificates. It was a very much more a two-way kind of thing. You know, there was a bit of interaction. And I can imagine the scene where Peter's talking and there's people sat around and going, but, but what did Jesus do then? And what did he say? And you saw what? He took how much bread and how many fish and fed how many... Wow. This was passionate. This was engaging. This was a desire to know what God was going to do in their lives. Not some simple reading. Oop, got to do my quiet time. Right, hang on. Uh, yep, okay. I'm clean. I've done my five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, one verse, whatever it is. So it's God. Grip me with your word. Change me. Make me different. 
help me to live as a believer. Let me have a transformed relationship with God. And then the next thing was this transformed relationship with each other, this, this fellowship. And as Baptists, we love fellowship, don't we? It means coffee and a cake or a biscuit after the service. Uh, no. That's part of it, but no. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they devoted themselves to fellowship. To the sharing of what they had. Every last thing. Opening their homes up to each other to share meals, to to sit down and break bread, but not necessarily in a religious way, but just to share food. I've always found that if you sit people around a table and give them messy food, you know, the kind of food that you don't have knives and forks for, but you've got to get your hands into. Uh, we had, uh, this is years ago, uh, I used to have connections with the church out in India, and one of the pastor's daughters out there came and, and worked with us in Rubina Baptist and, and she did a proper Indian meal for us and we were all excited because you know, who, who doesn't love a curry? Most of us do you know, I was like great, brilliant and I can remember walking into the back hall and there weren't tables there was a sheet spread on the floor but I thought hey I'm young, I'm funky I can get down with this, this is great, no problem and then there were bowls of food in the middle, but no plates. Okay, this could be fun, because most of these bowls were not kind of solid things. They were kind of solid things in sauces. And we learned how you pick the food up like this, but never above your second finger joint, and you always put it in your, your mouth this way. Or how you held a chapati or a a naan underneath and put some on and wrapped it up and ate it like a little morsel. And what was really funny about that meal was that as we sat and we chatted and we, we talked about what God was doing in our midst, suddenly people opened up because when you've got curry dribbling down your chin, it's quite hard to then kind of be a bit pretentious. But this is what the early church did. They shared food and they gossiped the gospel over the top of it. They they talked about what Christ was doing in their lives and what the difference it was making. It's a bit different from the way that we do church in the West, isn't it? It's not so much different from the way they do church in the East. By the way, for any Orthodox visitors, Happy Easter! Christos Anasti! <laughs> it's Orthodox Easter today. They work on a slightly different calendar. Also, the Romanian Pentecostals celebrate Easter today, just as a slight aside, but hey. So they shared everything and they broke bread together. They, they took their possessions and as everyone saw that someone was in need, they'd go, well, hang on, I've, I've got some. I, I can sell a field or I can sell a house. Or, oh, hang on, I've got something that could help you. Well, here, have it. It says a bit later on, so that none of them were in need. No need for a pastoral fund through which applications are made, no one was in need because of the way that they fellowshiped together, because of the way they broke bread together. And there's also the prayer. Now, 
is singular in the text, and I don't know what it is, and I don't think any of us truly know what it is. We suspect it means times of prayer, but it might have been saying the Lord's Prayer together. If you think about the Lord's Prayer, it's a fantastic framework, isn't it? It it's, uh, starts off with adoration. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then kind of supplication. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And prayers of need and desire. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So we segue into confession. And then imploring God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then we flip back into adoration. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So it might have been something around that, but they devoted themselves to prayer too. So we see this picture of church at the beginning of, of being somewhere where God's people every day ask, what, what's God saying to me? How does God's word change my life? What, what's going on with me? And then where are the needs? Where, where has God gifted me? Where has God given me a practical gift, a spiritual gift, a financial gift that, that I can use so that God's church can function? eating together that closeness of relationship where I want to spend time with you I want to be right with you I, I want to engage with you so that I know you and you know me and prayer talking to God what can we do where do we go how do we exist because remember this this church, 3,000 sounds like a lot, about 80,000 in Jerusalem at the time, but this church, these 3,000 believers were probably the ones that headed all the way back to Rome and founded the church in Rome. They're probably the ones that spread back out through the Roman Empire, carrying the good news. So, so they formed groups and they stayed close to each other and they lived Christ. Because there's some amazing outcomes of all of this, isn't there? I'm just going to read again the last few verses. Because of the way they lived as church, for the way that they engaged with God, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's funny, isn't it, when we come up with all these evangelistic strategies. How do we tell people the good news? We do it by being beautiful believers in Christ who live together harmoniously, giving of what we have that the gospel might prosper. It's not a challenging metric to achieve, is it? Are you living like the gospel? Yes, great, your numbers will grow. Not that you might ever see them in this building because we don't work in this building we work in the kingdom of God but 
it's amazing how transformative to culture out there is a transformed life that goes and walks amongst them. Because that's what these believers were doing. They weren't, they weren't going out there and thumping on the bandstands. You know, they were, they were mostly women, children, slaves. There's some really disparaging letters that get written early in the first century about these Christians and saying, why are we bothered about them? Oh, they're full of women and slaves. Really a product of their, the culture at the time that saw those groups as, as less than the rest. And yet, those seemingly lesser groups were the ones that built the church, that grew the gospel. Yeah, there were a couple of blokes that kind of threw their lot in, but the majority of it, Read about the life of Priscilla, or Prisca, as she's also called, and see someone who taught apostles. Grab hold of Phoebe and others throughout the, the New Testament that carried the gospel and caused the church to grow. So God starts doing stuff, all descends, signs start to happen, and people gather. And people start to worship together and, and eat together and praise together and then share together. Share their money, share their physical gifts, their spiritual gifts. They share and they lay it at the apostles' feet so that the mission of God can continue. And the outcome of all that, shared joy, Look at what God is doing in our midst. Look at what God is taking us to. Hallelujah. Goodwill of other people. That feels a bit alien at the moment, doesn't it? But that's the truth. Because they saw these little Christians doing stuff. And they said, I want to be like that. Because they have joy. They have peace. They have hope. Hallelujah. So what did Luke want us to grasp from that? That as, as church, we're, we're meant to exist to encourage each other, to build each other up, to, to take hold of the faith that we professed and to live it communally, contributionally, to give of what we have, to, to carry the gospel forward, to, to share a smile, tell a joke, have someone round for a sandwich or some cutlery-free curry, whatever you fancy. But it is all about Luke trying to tell us that faith in the risen Savior means you have a transformed relationship with God that's available just by faith, but also a transformed relationship with each other so that despite our differences, our great unifier is in Christ and his sacrifice that we are heading towards. So let's pray as we come towards communion, which John's leading. Spirit of God, my heartfelt cry is that anything that I have said that is of me might blow away like chaff in the wind. 
But whatever is of you, Lord God, whatever is of your spirit, may it land as bountiful seed and grow in our hearts and in our minds. And we trust that you've spoken to us. We, we trust that you have spoken to us about where our allegiances lie. Do we follow Christ or do we not? We, we trust that you've spoken to us about are we sharing, are we, are we giving, are we hoping, are we praising, are we joyful, are we searching as you would have us do. But Lord God, my cry is that my life would be transformed before you that I may, however haltingly, move more and more in alignment with your desire for me to be like Christ. And I pray that for my dear family here too. Help us to see you, Jesus. Help us to sit at your feet and hear what you are saying to us. Help us to fellowship together. Help us to break bread together. And help us to pray together that we might see something of the sense of all that comes when you work in our midst, when you do all that you've called us to do, and we go along for the ride. Help us, Jesus, as we come towards communion to be prepared and give us grace, we pray, where we need it, to the glory of your name. Amen.